2: american glutton podcast has a patreon do you hate commercials well we've got a patreon do you want bonus episodes that's on the patreon do you want to hang out and chat in our discord channel that's part of the patreon too we even have an option where you can leave me voicemails all on the patreon so check it out today patreon.com slash american glutton we have a patreon Please take a moment to like, subscribe, rate, review, all of the above on whatever app you're getting it from. American Glutton is brought to you by Trifecta. Trifecta is the perfect tool for diet and maintenance adherence. It reduces time, thought, and effort in making sure I am never without the food I need to succeed. Go to www.trifectanutrition.com slash American Glutton, where you will get 40% off your first order. Today on American Glutton, my guest is Risa Grew. She is here to talk about her new book, Food Frame. Diet is a four-letter word. It's a comprehensive guide to using functional nutrition guidelines to help people identify the root causes of their health issues and then eat accordingly to begin the healing process. You can find Risa on Instagram at Nutrition. Risa Grew, welcome to the American Glutton Podcast.
3: Well, thank you so much. It's great to
2: be here. Thank you for thank you for joining me. Okay, you are a functional nutritionist. Correct. Okay. W- what does that mean exactly?
3: So, functional nutrition or functional medicine is very different than conventional nutrition or conventional medicine. And basically, functional medicine was created by MDS who were really really tired of the pill for an ill paradigm. And so basically, several years ago, a couple of decades ago, they created functional medicine. And basically, the, the major pillars of functional medicine are looking at root causes. So, why is it that I'm getting headaches? Why is it that my cholesterol is high? It's not a deficiency in statins. And then we, <laughs> right? It's, I always say that it's not a deficiency. You don't have anxiety because you have a deficiency in Zoloft, right? You were not born with this, this problem and you've got to get to the root cause. Now it's great we have modern medicine. I'm not speaking pejoratively of that, but I'm just saying that it's not, it, we have to get to the root causes or else then we take medication, which, you know, I always say we, we're plugging up the, the hole in the in, in the front of the boat, but then three more holes pop up in the back. And then you just keep doing this chase all the time of, of uh, all the side effects. And then the other major pillar is that we're always looking at data, right? We're really, I'm all about data. Like I am a data freak. So how do I play darts in the lights, darts in with the lights off, right? When I can't see the target, I'm guessing. I'm not very good at playing darts with the lights off, So I got to see what the situation is. So I want to know where's your blood sugar, but let me, give me, give me all nine pieces of your thyroid. I want to know, you know, where your sex hormones are and where your stress level is your cortisol, your inflammatory markers. I'm a huge freak about inflammatory markers because systemic inflammation and gut health, those are the two root uh, foundational issues that I treat. Um, because I believe those are the pillars of, uh, or uh, they're, they're the foundation of health because without either of them, we don't really have much health. But so we look at root causes, we look at um, at data to figure out what is going on with you. And then um, we we look a little bit more narrow and um, a lot of people don't know this about lab tests, but lab tests in different, every lab is different and they move their markers pretty much quarterly and they discard the top two and a half percent of the numbers and they discard the bottom two and a half percent. So they take the chunk, the 95 percent in the middle. And so if you're going to a lab where there's a lot of disease in that area, they're moving the ranges towards that disease. So it's normal, which is crazy, right? That's just insanity to me. So we look at a, a little bit more narrow because we our conventional medicine can't treat treat prevention. We only treat disease. So we wait until you're already in a disease state to treat you. Whereas functional medicine or functional nutrition, we are looking at it before you get there. We're looking at insulin resistance, which is the step before pre-diabetes instead of just waiting until you're just diabetic. Right. Um, So Okay. With
2: all of that, once a person comes in, like with, and I, I know you deal a lot with autoimmune disease too, right? Yeah. uh huh. So, but that's something where the person has the thing and they come in and then you're going to figure that out. They don't, it's, you're not just looking for people pre this state.
3: Exactly. Exactly. And the other thing that we look at in functional nutrition and functional medicine is we look at the body as a whole interconnective unit. So everything has to do with everything in the body where conventional medicine, really, we have specialists for, you know, different appendages, different organs, different glands. And we don't really we don't think that they sort of are interrelated, but they are fully interconnected. So,
2: right. And if by some chance one thing might be affecting something else, you got to get two guys in to discuss and powwow on how to deal with it.
3: Yes, exactly. Which sounds easy, right? I mean, yes, it does. I, I
2: often think about the medical system in similar terms, like we're not deficient in these pills, but I, you know, like um, some kind of like a sketchy auto mechanic where you go in for a busted taillight and suddenly you got four other things that they're just going to have to fix too.
3: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm always looking at root causes and I am an autoimmune coach and I do have Hashimoto's Although I'm waiting for my blood test any day, I think I'm going to be able to reverse. I was 10 points away from reversing it last blood test. So i um, coming from 1400 on my thyroid peroxidase antibody to 44 is really tremendous movement. Is it not? Is there something to like I'm I, in
2: looking at autoimmune? I think that it's so prevalent here There, I know I personally and this could just be anecdotal, but I've also looked at some data on it. And then you go to like third world countries and it doesn't exist right. like there. There is the, the allergies and type type two diabetes and Hashimoto don't exist in really poor countries. Do you think that's a, a a matter of them just having bigger problems and these things are undiagnosed or is it something about our environment that is causing these?
3: Um, the answer to that question is both. Um, we have. um You know, I made a checklist. Um, I put it in my book, Food Frame. That's why I made it. Because when I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's, I was looking all over the place. Why is it that I'm having this autoimmune disease, right? Nobody's telling me. They just said, here, take a pill and for the rest of your life, and then off you go. And I'm like, no, 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 Like, why is my gland not producing this hormone it's supposed to produce? So I went through a checklist and a third of it is genetics. So you could have a genetic pool in these countries that don't really have it. That's a big chunk. Another big, big chunk is leaky gut. And we could talk for hours about leaky gut, but that's really, really huge. So I don't know how many chemicals they have in their in their country, but that's another massive issue with uh, America. Because to date, this is current information, the, the FDA has approved 86,000 chemicals for us to use. 86,000, well over 3,000 we can eat. And unfortunately, the sad news is even that most of those chemicals are not even tested, which is insanity to me. Right.
2: How do they get when, approved? What's the approval because process? there's a
3: lot of dinners going on in Washington, D.C. And, you know, this one's meeting with that one. And next thing you know, we have these chemicals that are approved. So it's it's we have to be extraordinarily diligent because we are all toxic. We have we know that there's statistics that babies, umbilical cords of current babies born today, are testing over 200 toxins in the umbilical cord right i mean we are we are just smothered in toxins i mean think about our food just just our food it's blue and yellow and and green and we have all these dyes that we use so many countries don't do that i mean we have more more chemicals than any other country on the planet so we even like look at our vitamins Sometimes people walk into my office with vitamins that are yellow and pink and blue. And I'm like, really, do we really need our supplements to be pretty?
2: All our medication
3: I, it, is branded.
2: Did you ever see, and I, this is just an aside, but on the same line, they, they that it's all basically, I mean, a lot of the packaged food in a store is a total scam. Like if you watch how they get a hundred percent pure orange juice from oranges into that carton, they do like shocking things to this stuff. You know, they boil it all and and so it's nothing. Then they take the peel and they chemically treat it so that they're getting flavor out of it and they concentrate stuff. And and it says not from concentrate and stuff, but it's like really
3: misleading. It's all sugar. Yeah, it is. It's unfortunately there is so much um, uh, deception in our food. And really we should be eating foods that don't even contain a label, right? Or a nutrient nutritional panel. We should just be eating foods from the farm, right? Things that are crawling on the ground and sprouting from the earth. That's really what we should be really eating. But unfortunately, you know, it's big business. Money is big. It's big food industry is big business. So we we have a lot of distraction and a lot of. options. Options, and we have to be diligent. People don't realize that they walk into my office all the time and we go through things and I'm always so curious. I'm like, oh, let's see how, what's in this, right? So we look and we start to talk about, read the ingredient list or the sugar panel and people are astounded. But we don't check what's going into the building. We just don't. I don't know why, but people just don't. We're more concerned about what, what the outside has than what's going on in the inside.
2: All right. Um, I want to get back to leaky gut because I have no idea what that means. What's leaky gut?
3: So leaky gut is a is a, is a term that I, the official clinical term is intestinal permeability. And basically what that means is we have this very long intestine. We have the ascending, colon descending. We have the transverse and the colon. And so we only have one layer of epithelial cells to protect it. Right. And over that layer, we have some bili little hairs that kind of protect us. Things will eat that, right? They erode that one layer of intestinal lining. And so gluten, dairy, sugar, alcohol, medications, dyes, chemicals, toxins, um, stress, pathogens, organ malfunctions, those things will start eating that intestinal lining. And we get these gaping holes. I test every patient I work with for these gaping holes to see if there is leaky gut. Wait,
2: like literally like an ulcer in the it,
3: it, it's it's their opening things in the intestinal lining so that means that these things proteins particularly can go through these holes and what happens is they coming into the back door they're going into the bloodstream and the body says who are you you're you're the enemy and they start create creating antibodies and those antibodies will then keep, put you in a state of inflammation and then if it gets bad we 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 get our cytokine storm or nf kappa nf kappa b gets activated and we start to get into what is called a cytokine storm which is an inflammation storm and then if we don't fix the healy- leaky gut we just keep going around and around and around in a suspicious cycle until you stop putting those foods in and you start putting you know, slurring the street there right so um i have i get really really sick people And when I test them for, it's called zonulin, which is an enzyme produced by the liver that will be detected in your intestines. I do a stool test for everybody I work with. So I can tell how leaky are they? And I mean, I was working with somebody about six months ago who her allergist sent her to me and she couldn't eat anything. I mean, she just was sick all the time. Just major, major issues. Young girl. And when we tested her um, in the lab that I use, we want the zonulin to be less than 107 she was at 1050. Wow. Yeah. So she couldn't even barely do supplements. We worked very slowly with her, but she's like really in great shape. We did her follow-up test, and she's really, I mean, she's eating almost everything now,
2: but it's a, thing. So, so it's just the body's reaction. And then stuff is going into the bloodstream in a way that the body's not accustomed to.
3: Correct. Exactly. And so we create that antibody, then we'll have food intolerances because of that. It's not that you were born with, you know, 80 allergies. It's because you have gaping holes that these proteins in these foods are causing an inflammatory response. So you do that long enough and then you get a, a diagnosed with an autoimmune disease. Right. And if you do not fix that gut, you're just basically putting the vacancy sign up saying, come on in, let's just keep, you know, and once you have one autoimmune, we love to collect more. So you, a lot of people get um, multiple autoimmune diseases, and that's very difficult. Vitamin D deficiency is another root cause. Uh, viruses, it's Epstein-Barr virus, um, cytomegalovirus, some viruses can cause um, pathogens. That's why I do stool testing. There's lots of pathogens that you can have in your gut that could uh, be the precursors or the triggers to autoimmune disease. Um, MTHFR, which is a gene mutation that I test everybody for as well. Uh, that can trigger. And then um, lifestyle stuff, you know, lack of sleep, bad diet, high sugar, high carb, those things can absolutely spark an autoimmune disease and mercury too, heavy metals and um, mercury.
2: Do you think people that are just generally feeling unwell could potentially be have uh, autoimmune and not even realize
3: it? Absolutely.
2: Like it's not always so severe as the gal you said who had a, th- a thousand score and, and was in real bad shape like just general discomfort could be autoimmune
3: absolutely so most of the um i'm forgetting the statistic offhand but most people are not even aware those uh, that they have autoimmune they're not even diagnosed and there is a statistic that most the average person goes to about six doctors before they're finally diagnosed with something. Cause they go to the doctor and say, I feel fine. And then they test them on five things and the five things are in this range. And, and they're like, no, you're good. And the person goes, I don't think so. I really don't think so. And so, and it doesn't happen until you get to that sixth doctor, unfortunately. So, um, and, and, and the sad thing is, you know our, our labs are really dictated by the insurance company what the insurance company will cover. So they don't wanna cover much. So we don't really get a full clear picture of what's going on with somebody's body until you go to somebody who's functional or, um, you know, I do very elaborate testing because I got to know, I mean, we don't want to be in the dark. So um, we need to know what's happening. Yeah. Functional. I mean, I,
2: I would think it would just be the doctor's primary goal to do, you know, like, well, before we, Try this battery of drugs. Let's figure out if there's something that we can do by just removing something simple from your life or adding in something beneficial, like, you know, whether it's take a walk or who, who knows what it could be. Mm-hmm. But um, it does seem odd that this has to be a secondary practice.
3: It, it really is sad. And, um, you know, I don't think it's the doctor's fault necessarily, I think it's the it's medical schools. They don't teach anything other than really chemicals, right? What it's it's basically you're you're a chemist because you have to figure out what chemical is going to quell a particular symptom, right? Um, for the most part, so we 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 need to change this conversation, and that's why functional medicine is so popular because they do get to the root cause, and um, they do extensive testing. So, and, and we have to be diligent about decreasing our, our toxic load. The average American female comes in contact with over 200 toxins just before she left the bathroom in the morning, right? So think about what's in your shampoo and what's in our soap and our makeup and our deodorant is huge, right? Our shaving cream, our, our perf, do we need perfume and all the, um, the air fresheners, those kill me the most because those are just everywhere in every Uber you go on in, and they're just everywhere. And we we don't need these 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 perfumes. These are toxins or chemicals. So um, I do so many much detoxing with people at my own fourteen day detox where you're eating great food and you're having collagen uh, shakes, but you're decreasing your toxic load. And I mean, I had somebody last week who came in. For her first follow-up who complained of major, major skin issues. I mean, itching every day and and breakouts every single day. She was like afraid to go out of the house because she just was so uh, horrified at how she looked. I put her on my detox in one week. In one week, the itching was completely gone and the, the breakouts had dissipated to almost nothing. So what does that tell you, right? It tells you all these toxins in her system Uh, we're just causing all this issue with her liver. And she kept going to the doctor who kept giving her more medication and more cream. And I'm like, it's not, it's not an outside job. This is an inside job. So most skin issues are an inside job. So. Yeah. I have a
2: buddy who had um, psoriasis. That's a skin thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And he had these patches for decades and he would go and get different creams and at one point pills and nothing seemed to work. And then he handled them with nutrition, but I, it was always so amazing to me that he could be prescribed something that was, you know, even admittedly by the doctor questionable, you know, like you can see when strep is killed by an anti antibiotic under a microscope and you can go like this disease is definitely killed by this antibiotic sure. but there seems to be such a such a lot in medicine that is still like we're pretty much guessing here
3: yeah yeah for sure and every the, the thing that that i always impress upon is that everybody is different so your root cause to your eczema or your psoriasis, I mean, it's usually as liver related, but it may be very different approach than, than somebody else who has the exact same symptoms, because we have to look at what, what does your DNA look like? What is your genetic component? What is your exercise level? What is your sleeping? What's your stress? Stress is a huge factor in so much of health. what's your stress level because everybody is different. So that's why I wrote Food Frame is because we it's not one diet fits all. You know, all these diets are great for most people, but not for everybody. You know, I, I'd say don't do keto if you don't have a gallbladder. That is not going to be a good fit for you, right? <laughs> don't do keto if you've got low blood sugar, right? Same with intermittent fasting or, you know, things like that. You and intermittent fasting is great for the people it's great for. You know, keto is great for the people it's great for. But it just isn't a one size fits all. So you have to eat according to what your current health status is.
2: I really like the title of your book. It's it's food frame diet is a four-letter word, right? And that okay. obviously has a connotation because it is in fact a four-letter word. But also, you know, what we think of when we think of four-letter words is it's it's this terrible thing. Will you will you talk about that?
3: Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of um. There's a lot of angst about food. We have a a, a really complex relationship with food and the way we eat and we, you know, reward ourselves with food. We punish ourselves with food. We punish other people with food. We have control over it on our birthday. I mean, it's crazy what we do with food, right? Somebody's not feeling well. We just go and bring them a ton of sugar, right? Let's just bring them crap. So, um, you know, it's crazy. So I think that it's really important to um, understand that we were all born to eat food. This is our fuel. This is our only fuel source, right? We don't take any gas or any electricity, right? We need food. And so it's essential. So as I said, going back to all those options, right? Those look like food. They act like food. They're sold as food. They're talked about as food. They're ingestible, but they're not feeding us. They're not nourishing us. They're mostly empty calories. And so it sickens me when I see people, I walk on the beach and I see their they're they're you're just having you know Gatorade and Coke and and chips and it, this is just dead food and they're giving it to their children you know and here's another statistic one out of every three children born today will be type two diabetic one out of three wow right so how I, what what does our future hold right this is really scary I mean each per capita in America we we consume 152 pounds of sugar per year. I could tell you I'm not even having a quarter or an eighth of a pound. So who's having my portion, right? Yeah. So it's 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 crazy all this sugar consumption we're having. So so when we use the word diet, it's I mean if you just go on the streets and say okay, give me the first thing that pops into your head, the first three words or something when you say diet, oh starvation, deprivation, um, misery, right? Hangry. Or, or, you know, that's what people associate the word diet. And it really isn't a bad word. It's, it's, it's our eating lifestyle, which I now use for the term diet because diet is such a bad connotation. But it isn't, we should not be starving ourselves. We should not be depriving ourselves. If your car needs gas and you're like, you've got three miles left, are you going to be like, you're good, we'll make it. <laughs> I don't think we would do that, right? So we have to fuel ourselves. The question is, Why do we even need a diet in the first place? Right. Why are we, if we have weight issues, then look at what we're eating. Are we eating real food or are we eating fake food? Right. I mean,
2: that's another great point you say, because um, when I looked at, um, I I was morbidly obese and, and at the time I started looking into it and some uh, huge percentage of obese people were malnourished, which I could not comprehend. I just didn't, it didn't compute. I was going like, we have so much food that we're not getting enough. But finally, when I got like, no, when you eat a diet, rich in preservatives and and packaged food, you're actually not getting the nutrients, which is what nourishes you. So I get that. Um, Exactly. It is tough to, um, be raised on, on foodstuffs that are amplified in sugars and fats Mm -hmm. and salts and things like that, Mm -hmm. um, that are highly palatable, that are designed. In fact, like we talked about the uh, revolving door of a doctor and, you know, you could think about this. It's analogous, analogous with other things like an iPhone is built to be dead and useless within a certain amount of time. Well, what if the food that is amplified to get you to want to eat more of it is also being designed to leave you hungry sooner so that you'll eat more of it. So like this whole complex system that many of us, me were, were raised taking part in. Now, when we go, we wake up one day or whatever happens, somebody gets a, a an autoimmune disease and goes, my life is no longer fun to live in this state. I want mm-hmm. to make a change. Then you're stuck really, having to relearn how to eat.
3: Yes, because we're never taught. We really are never taught how to eat. And the the government pyramid, unfortunately, doesn't really represent how we should be eating properly. Right. It's not uh, anti-disease structure. So um, and that's what I find so interesting is that I'm teaching people how to eat all the time. So, Ethan, think of it this way. This is what I say to everybody who walks in my office for the first time is I want you to imagine that your body is just like a sneaker factory, right? Might look like the Nike factory, wherever that is. And you've got all this equipment to make a sneaker. So if I give you leather or rubber or canvas, I know we're going to get a sneaker, right? At the end, it may change in shape or size or color, but it's going to be a sneaker. And if I say to you, Ethan, I've got this great idea. Let's put some cell phone parts in your sneaker factory. What would you say to me?
2: I don't know how to make a shoe with them.
3: Right, exactly. So what would probably happen if we went to the Nike factory and said, let's put cell phone parts in your millions and millions of dollars of, 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 of sneaker equipment, they'd probably, you know, call the police and say, get these to the to the to the loony bin, Right. Because if we put cell phone parts in sneaker factories, we'd break the equipment. Right. It would just break it. It's just not built. to to use cell phone, we'd have to take those cell phone parts and put them in a cell phone factory, right? And I use that example because whoever created us, whatever that was, we had some things crawling on the ground and spreading from the earth. Those are the things that we can eat to sustain ourselves, to survive and procreate our two main goals as living organisms, right? But then we started having factory foods, right? We started creating Oreos and Doritos and all kinds of things. And there's a wonderful book, I just think it's a wonderful book called Salt, Sugar, Fat by Michael Moss. And I don't know if you've read it, but yeah. it's phenomenal. And he really does all the research and goes to these corporate corporations. And they, they, he figures out that it's just a way to get people addicted to their products. And they, he calls it the bliss point where they bring in this uh, focus group and they say, do you like it and do you want more? And they continue to add sh- salt and sugar until they say, yes, we like it. And no, we don't want more. They call that the bliss point. Like, how insanity is that? Like this, we are just experiments for them because they want us addicted to their products so they can get better margins, right? And so this is, unfortunately, it works. And there's so many people who eat this this fake food, they get addicted to it. It is not helping their health. So it is, I'm trying to scream from the top of my lungs to tell people, I mean, you're a great example. You can change your life. You can turn around your health by what you choose with your fork every single time you eat. Okay. My,
2: my mind likes to try to uh, attack things from every point of view I can possibly imagine. And so I come to, when I'm thinking about it in these terms, by the way, I completely agree with what you're saying. There's no disagreement here. But when I think about the entire world or even the entire country, Mm -hmm. there's so many people. I I have trouble understanding how.
1: This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which
0: make this mother's day unforgettable with a piece from blue nile right now get up to 50% off at bluenile.com that's bluenile.com normally being
4: a little extra might be a bit much but not when it comes to health care that's why united healthcare's health protector guard fixed indemnity insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs learn more at uh1.com
2: you know there's there's multiple things to consider here one you know, prior to the Great Depression, we were spending 45% on average of our salaries on food because food was hard to produce and there wasn't preservatives, which brought the price way down. Right. Mm-hmm. I think we are spending something like 10% or less now, which is a huge savings. How do we feed everyone? Like there's a lot. There's so many people. If we were to go back to no more preservatives, no more of uh, uh, the mass-produced garbage food, basically, which is the American diet. Is it possible to feed everyone?
3: I think it is. I think it's entirely possible. I mean, we're, we're spending, I think it's $2 billion annually just on preservatives in our food. Wow. It's a $2 billion industry. So, um, at least it was a couple of years ago, but yeah. Do I think that we can feed everyone? Absolutely. I mean, even if you live in an apartment, you can grow your own herbs and your own foods. And, 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 and if we can't get them, we could absolutely grow them. So I do, I don't have the statistics on, on how we're feeding everybody, but I do know that there there is an argument about GMO that we're gleaning more uh, produce to feed the masses, and that I know is not true. That is a marketing angle, that is not a statistic. So we, GMO or not, we're growing this crop and it's better for us because the soils are so depleted. I mean, I talk about this a lot, Um, since the 1950s, our soil is depleted of nutrients by 40%. So then, we're needing to supplement with those nutrients, or like you said, you have to eat more food because we're all malnourished. Right. We need those nutrients, right? Our soil is so depleted, which causes a whole other conversation with, um, with, with, with the climate, and so um, that's a whole other subject. But w- if we just really fixed our soils and and used good. Soil to grow food, we wouldn't need to supplement as much. And if we could take out all this packaged processed foods, we'd be a much better off country.
2: Yeah, I do. I do. You know, I want to be considerate of of uh, people who have financial burdens. And it's like, you know, because uh, when I look at stores like um, Air One, they're insanely expensive. And, and so I just don't want to be a, somebody going like, yeah, just have everybody eat at Air One and you'll be fine. You know what I mean? That's no, 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 no.
3: but I, I don't I don't shop at Air One all the time, but I make my food. So right. going out to me is more expensive. Even if you go to a a fast food restaurant, I have to I would love that challenge to to see if I could make a whole chicken and some a salad and some vegetables for less than it would be. And a greater portion, and there you're eating nutrition. You're getting your protein, fat, and fiber versus dead food, where you're just getting sugar, carbs, and salt.
2: And you could put, potentially you could get a couple meals out of a chicken and some
3: vegetables. Several meals, exactly, and then use the bones for bone broth or whatever it is that you that I, I would create. That, that's food. That that's real food.
2: So it it takes effort. It takes some creativity. If if you are accustomed to drive-throughs. Um, this could be startling, but it's doable.
3: Oh, absolutely. And trust me, I am busy. I am really, really, really busy. But And I don't have complicated dinners, but I make, I prepare and I make really quick. I mean, I'll take chicken out of the freezer, throw it in a pan with some onions and mushrooms. And if I have zucchini or shrimp or kale or whatever I have, and I throw it in there and I do a little curry with some cauliflower rice, Done. It takes me 15 minutes. It is not expensive at all. A whole bag of cauliflower rice that is um, organic can cost me $2.99. I can't even eat the whole thing. So that's like two or three dinners for me. I mean, I've got dinner less than $10 right around there. So you can do this. You can absolutely do this. And I also just want to mention this to your listeners that if you don't spend the money on the front end, you're going to have to spend the money on the back end. Because your gonna body's gonna be breaking down. You're gonna be spending it in medical expenses and and pharmaceuticals. You're gonna be spending that money. You probably already are.
2: And and that and that seems to be a big key to how the system is working, right? So we've got this garbage food that people are eating in way too much abundance, which leads to a whole host of other problems, which takes you down the path of our medical system, which, you know. It just, it does seem like when you judge, and I I don't want to say anything bad. Like, I have a kid with type 1 diabetes and she's on insulin, and I'm happy every day that some pharmaceutical company is making insulin for her. I thank God. Absolutely. Um, But when you think about how, how medicated we are versus anywhere else in the world, how over tested we are and over medicated we are, it, it does seem a little bit insane. Like, what? What are we doing?
3: It is um, at the end of the day, I think it all comes down to money. And there's a few players that are getting a lot of money from this paradigm. And it's been going on for a long time. And it's political and it's financial. So there's uh, the the politics, regardless of who's in the White House, we are still approving about 2000 toxins per year nothing's being done on that. I've written letters and nothing's ever, I've never even gotten responses to my letters, but um, they there. We take people from big corporate food or chemical and we put them in the white house and the FDA. And then we just keep going back and forth. And there's, you know, a cast of characters that are maybe, you know, 30, 50 people deep. And these are the people who are creating this paradigm for us. That's not working. And we really wouldn't have to worry about all this healthcare issues if we just ate real food. Uh, yeah, I mean
2: that's the other shocking thing when you even when you think about uh, other countries that have socialized medicine, which we don't even have. Their governments are still spending less than our government—not us out of our pockets, but our tax dollars are outspending the socialized systems. Right. So that, to me, says like. We're already outdoing the socialist countries in uh, government spending on medical stuff and we're still also paying for it out of our pockets like it the whole thing really seems insane.
0: It
3: is insane and you know I order blood work in my office day in and day out all day for years. I got my own. I just did my own last week that I paid out of pocket for, even though I pay for insurance. But I know that my insurance company won't cover what I need to get covered. That's number one. And number two is I've done this before and I get a bill for like, I think it was like $1,600 for the testing that I already order in my office for $300. So (laughs) where's the $1,300 going? Like why? I, I mean, I'm ordering directly from LabCorp. Right. So why why is your lab court order $1,300 more than mine? Somebody's got their hands in their system. Right. And we're all paying the price. And then you want to get into a doctor's office. Well, don't even try. Right. I mean, you can't even get in. Sickness is big business and doctors are overwhelmed. And I don't think they're even making all that much money and they can't spend I mean, I work with doctors in my office all the time. They refer to me, but I have them as clients. I treat uh, several of them. And I had a doctor in my office a couple of months ago, and she told me that she was seeing 40 patients per day, per day. I said, how much time did you have with each of them? She, I said, like five minutes. She goes, sometimes even less than that. Like, how do you, how do you get 40 patients in in a day? It's just... And she has to, because she has to pay for her liability insurance. She has to pay for her staff. She, and it's, it's our, our, the way we work our medical system in this country is not good. And it's not helping anybody.
2: Yeah. I mean, it just doesn't, it just doesn't make sense to me. I'm really happy to be of the mind of trying at least to opt out of the whole thing. You know what I mean? Like if the cycle is watch the marketing eat the food, do the stuff, take the pills. I'm just like, I would rather play my own game and have a body that feels much better than it did when I was within that system.
3: Because you know it, like, you know, you finally woke up and said, my body's communicating with me. Let me listen.
2: Right. And you it took a hell of a long time, Risa, way, way too long.
3: It amazes me how long people can live. You know, I, I, I had a young kid I was working with about a year ago who had diarrhea. He never told his mom every single solitary day for hours, for two years. He never told his mom, young kid. So something's going on there, right? And so it's amazing to me how people of all ages will live with um, just feeling like crap all the time. So I always urge people to listen when your body's communicating. Yeah. I mean, the,
2: the, another um, interesting thing on that line is I, I didn't even realize how crappy I felt because it just was life at some point. And so I wanted to change my body. That was the thing where I was like, there's stuff I can't do, but I did, I wasn't even aware mm-hmm that I felt awful until I had some, some distance from eating in that way. Mm-hmm. And then when I tried to eat that way again, it like gave me a hangover, like it actually made me yeah. sick and out. And I realized, Oh, this is how I felt almost every day. Oh. It just was, just was normal.
3: Yeah. And what motivated you to make the change?
2: I, you know, I got involved with a girl and I just thought like, if, if I want to have a future with her, I'm going to have to change and i and i did and I, there's been no looking back now i did also go on every diet you've listed and a bunch more you know um the my my least favorite is the beverly hills diet have you heard of that one like that one i just oh. i just go like this is complete madness this diet but i did it and i did actually
3: uh, knew the um f- the creator of that I'm, do- I'm
2: yeah sorry if i don't know no, no. she's
3: no longer she's with, with us okay. and uh, she had a lot of eating um she has, she had a complex relationship with food.
2: Yeah. I would say so. Yeah. Her diet was wild. Um, but you know, for me, I I had to, you know, the way you talk about fuel, I I think about food in that way now. And it's a a much better way for me to exist when I consider what I'm eating to be fueling my body. I, I think that, um, you know, if our cars gained weight every night because we had too much fuel in them, we would stop. We would have apps to calculate exactly how far we were going to drive and how much fuel we needed. And we would become really good at not over fueling our cars. And I, I want to think of my body in a similar way. I still do like to mess around with herbs and spices and stuff and get some pleasure out of it because food can be very pleasurable.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. For sure. So um, I love everything you just said. I love that analogy, and I think it's really important for people to realize that you know, food is it is a pleasure center for sure. But I talk a lot about eating for sport and eating for survival. And when people come in to me, usually they've been eating for sport, right? What sounds good? What feet, What am I What am I in the mood for? what, what am I, what, what sounds good to me right now? Right. And usually it's not a great big salad or anything like that, but people go by their, their emotional state with food. So where you and I probably are doing, well, I had a lot of fat at, at for breakfast. So I'm going to focus on a little bit more protein and fiber for lunch and dinner. Right. Or, you know, we, we balance it out that way. And so I always say, we're going to eat for sport for sure. Right. I'm going to, there's going to not be a day. I mean, I I love chips and guac. And when I go to Mexico, I'm eating chips and guac. And every now and then I'm like, let's go to a Mexican restaurant and I'm having chips and guac. Right? It's gotta be good Um, on pizza too. I'm a big fan of pizza, gluten-free pizza. And I don't have it often, but if it's if I'm going to have it, it's going to be good. And that is food for sport for me, for sure. I'll throw some veggies on there, but make it, you know, a little bit healthier. But I typically I don't eat any gluten or dairy. So those are, are those are food for sport for me. And we're, we're going to travel. We have holidays. It's our birthday or it's just the Tuesday that you want some trips and guac, Right. But you you I'm very conscious about that. And I don't want people to feel deprived because it's that's not what it's about but we should be eating for sport almost all. I mean, sorry, eating for survival almost all the time. Right. Right. And then when we need to, or when we're really, when we want to, when we're intentional about it, we should be for a uh, first, for sport.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That, there's a, there's a place. And, and I very, very rarely eat off my plan. I, I try, I try to almost never, but I do sometimes, mm-hmm. um, And there's a place I I, you know, there was a moment in my life where I I was going like I can if I just eat gluten free, then I'll be fine. Then I'll lose weight. And so, you know, I was I would go like gluten free pizza is perfectly fine and gluten free, you know, sandwiches and cookies and all this stuff. And that was very clearly not true. Um but I found in that time period, a place called Lucifer's, which does gluten-free pizza. And I actually like it more than real pizza. So when I cheat or go off my plan, I don't like to consider it cheating. But when I have a design meal off my plan, I will find myself having a gluten-free pizza simply because I like it more.
3: Right. And it's nice to have some variety too. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, and gluten is just it's one of those things that will eat the villi and the intestinal lining. So it's not really good for us, even if we don't have an intolerance to it. We should really moderate our gluten intake. But yeah, I love it. gluten-free pizza is an amazing invention and I love it. And I'll make pizzas with sweet potatoes oh, um, wow. instead of a crust. And um, I you can do them from cauliflower, and there's so many different options now. So it's it's great. There's We don't have to feel deprived,
2: right? We can figure it out. Okay. I, I, I really appreciate how, when you talked about um, how we're all individuals that said, is there a list of criteria that you recommend as a universal for that? Like you would go, like, I would suggest everybody follows this.
3: So there isn't one that I would recommend, but that's why I have the food frame quiz on my website. So people can take that. And then, and your health status changes, right? So let's say you're no longer autoimmune, or let's say you're no longer pre-diabetic. So then the, your health status would change. Um, but if I had to choose one eating lifestyle that is the majority for people, I would say that it's paleo. Um, it's, it's animal protein, good, clean quality animal protein. Um, vegetables, unlimited vegetables, with the exception of a couple, um, sweet potato and yams and really good fat. So eggs, avocado, nuts, seeds. And I, that's pretty much how I eat. My guess is it's probably how you eat too.
2: It's fairly close. Yeah.
3: So, and always watch your carbohydrate intake. As you said, you can absolutely go down. You know, I go to the natural food show every year. I, I, I'm going next or this week. I can't wait. I'm so excited. And you walk down the, the, the endless aisles that have just all this, this, this food that's gluten-free or dairy free or low in sugar, or low carb keto. I mean, on and on and on and on. And, you know, sometimes I stop and go. People, this is still packaged food, right? This right. is still, it's healthy junk food, but it's still not from a farm, right? So we should not be sustaining ourselves on that food. We're just we just not meant to eat that.
2: Yeah, you know? no, I, I like um, the idea. And I don't know who first came up with it, but when you walk into a grocery store, you just stay on the <laughs> perimeter, right? Yeah. That to me is what I generally do. And no matter what, you can go to Erewhon And you can go deep inside and they've got junk food that's packaged to look like health food.
3: Exactly. Exactly. So and it's not that you can never have a gluten free, you know, cookie sweetened with monk fruit, but you don't want to have that every day and you don't want to sustain your body on that. So. Um, You know, I'm always looking at blood sugars because that's a huge factor in systemic inflammation. So I'm always looking, trying to decrease that systemic inflammation and always trying to improve that health uh, gut health. So those gluten-free cookies are not helping either one. So those are more in the food for sport, but in the healthier category.
2: Right. It is amazing. Um, You know, I tried keto and eventually it became just Figuring out ways to make stuff that really was unhealthy for me, you know, with with pork rinds and and cream cheese and heavy stuff, and and then I wasn't losing weight, and I was like, why am I wasting my time trying so hard to keep carbohydrates out of my diet if I'm not losing or even gaining weight doing this? It's like, uh, so I, I I take your point, and I appreciate
3: yeah, keto it. Keto really is one of those diets that don't work for everybody. And, uh, you know, I can't tell you how many people walk into my office and they say my next door neighbor lost 42 pounds on keto, but I didn't lose any. So it's it's so individualized.
2: Yeah. Amazing. Risa, thank you so much.
3: Yeah, thank you. It was great to be here.
2: Good talking to you.
3: Yeah. Nice to talk to you, too. And I'm so proud of your progress and your commitment to health. And and if anybody can do it, you're a perfect example of, of, of creating something new.
2: I'm trying. Trying to set a good example. That's great. Thank you.
3: You're doing it. And now for the
2: Q&A.
4: Today's question comes from Omar. Hi, Omar. He says, first, thank you for the podcast. It has been tremendously helpful hearing others speak about things that I used to think I only felt or experienced. I just want to say that's awesome and such a Thanks, good point. Omar. Yeah, that's yeah. really cool. He says, over the past year or so, I lost around 50 pounds and got in probably the best shape of my life overall. I've been active for the past few years, regardless of my weight. But right now, I'm hitting new PRs and goals that I never thought I would. I'm getting ready to run my third marathon.
2: Jesus. Whoa. <laughs> I'm always so impressed by marathon people, man. Oh, it's my just, God. Yes. It's such a long distance to run. <laughs>
4: Amazing. <laughs> He says, people in my fitness communities have noticed and will often comment on my weight loss, even asking how much I lost or how I did it. This makes me feel both proud and self-conscious. And as someone that has had their weight go up and down over the years, it also makes me afraid. What will they think if I put some weight back on? You've been in the public eye for so long, and I can imagine this has been uh, even more of an experience for you. How have you dealt with it?
2: Okay, that's his question. Yeah. Well, Omar, it, it is um, definitely a big thing that has occurred for me is this um, this thing of like, I've lost weight and now I need to maintain my weight loss. Now, that said, I also did like an extreme cut down below 10% body fat, which – is not something that is, that I'm capable of maintaining. I cannot maintain that. It's it's too hard. It's too uh, non-conducive to my life. And uh, what would happen if I tried to maintain that is I would start wasting, like I would start to lose lean tissue. Um, and then I would wind up at that weight, but with a higher body fat percentage anyway. And so it, it's been very tricky because I go like, wait a second, I'm now 8% body fat. I, this is what I want to maintain. And it's like, no, that's not in the cards unless I wanted to do a bunch of steroids, which my wife won't let me do. And so um, I'm not going to be able to maintain that. And then I go like, well, my abs are still visible, but they're not as visible, and this is disappointing to not only me, but anybody who's paying attention and I've let people down and it's like a bunch of b s man at the end of the day, you know, we're living life. this is your journey. this is not their journey. Um you lost fifty pounds, you ran three marathons, or you're about to run a third marathon, like all of that. I say, pat yourself on the back. Now, I wouldn't say pat yourself on the back and give yourself some excuse to regress a whole bunch. Like, you know, for me, it would be a dangerous thing if I got so comfortable that I started regularly eating at McDonald's or having pizza or something like that. I mean, really, those are two things I never, ever do. So when I even think about opening myself up to doing them a little bit, I'm like, oh no, that's not that's not the way to pat myself on the back. But all that said, I think that It is quite natural, you know, to, um, if you think about like even athletes or even you running a marathon, I would imagine that the day after you run a marathon, there's some weight gain simply because you've probably taxed every last glycogen store in your body while running a marathon, um, you may be a little bit dehydrated. And so your body's going to suck all that up. And then you're going to, if you got on the scale at the end of a marathon and then kind of refueled your body and weighed yourself 24 hours later, you're going to weigh more. And so what are we getting into this thing where we absolutely can never gain weight again? This doesn't make sense. Um, I think that the key to things like maintenance are having some realistic idea of where your weight should be. If you diet so hard that, um, whatever your, your normal calories are supposed to be are so different from what you've been eating. When you go to do a maintenance period, you're going to gain weight. If you, um, If you're doing keto and you start eating carbohydrates, you're going to weigh more because your body's going to retain water. There's all these different ways to think about it. I think it gets extra tricky when you have um, massive weight loss, and I would categorize 50 pounds as massive weight loss because there's a a lot more room for um, holding on to liquid in your body than there is for a thin person who loses two pounds, right? There's just not the space there. They're not accustomed to it. Their body isn't going like, wait a second, we weighed 50 more pounds for a while and now we're this weight. And so your body's a little bit confused. So it is a matter of maintaining that for a long time and and finding your new normal. Um, I don't know what the figures are when he's talking about i mean i feel all of these pressures that's really his question is do i yeah. feel these pressures yes yeah. i fucking feel these pressures yeah all the time on social media um you know I, uh, I don't know when this will air, but at one point I I had a bag of popcorn and the next day I was like, I can't post anything on social media. I've clearly gained 10 pounds. I didn't even get on the scale because I was so mortified about my behavior eating a bag of popcorn. Um,
4: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to
0: Quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue also you can get health insurance for a month
4: or just under a year in some states united healthcare short-term insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage for you learn more at uh1.com
2: and then i went to the gym on a sunday and it did other things that i like i don't I don't want to have that be a compulsion or that be a solution. Like now I can eat bags of popcorn as long as I go to the gym extra. Like that's, that's Mm -hmm. not what I'm interested in either. So yeah, it's a complicated thing. You know, there's a lot of like irrationality tied to it and all of that. And I just say, if you're, if you're uh, hitting your targets, most of the time you're probably doing okay. And, and, and it's okay to, acknowledge that about yourself yeah i mean this whole speech i'm giving to omar i'm really giving to myself
4: (laughs) but it's really valid it does answer you know what he's asking and i i understand that and yeah it's um i have kind of a follow-up question okay just thinking of ourselves but have you you know that thing where
2: you're trying to give omar a follow-up question or is no, it
4: for question? you well no it's a follow-up question that i just thought of based on what omar is asking do you think there's anything to that feeling of like if you really acknowledge yourself and kind of go like yeah i did it do you think there's like um have you ever experienced where then you just maybe one can get kind of lazy and sort of go back into old habits like i i yeah, I did it. Wow. Look at me. I've lost this 10 pounds or whatever your thing is. And then you kind of, I guess you just actually address this because you just said something about you ate a bag of popcorn. You can't fall into something like, well, now I'll just go to the gym extra. If I eat popcorn, like I'm just saying that slippery slope of like,
2: I think it's even more and- complicated than that page mm-hmm. because I think that, and it doesn't have to be this way for everyone, but for me, I, I had to recognize that this is going to be my life. This is not a diet that lasts 30 days and then I'm done because right. I will do harm to my body with food. So I need to address this for life. So really, if I take a minute and go, uh, I'm, I've, I've, I've succeeded, right? This idea of succeeded is a completion idea. It's, a, it's an I'm done idea, right? And so if I cross a finish line – And I'm done like, listen, if I ran a fucking marathon, which I will never do Mm -hmm. because I have flat feet, I have bad ankles and bad knees and arthritis in my hip. And I'm just never good. I have no interest in running a marathon. Did I tell you that I once ran a 5k? No. Okay. So I went, um, I don't remember what year it was, but I went to Austin And this was when I was riding my bicycle at uh, around 100 miles a day, maybe Mm -hmm. not quite 100 miles a day, but I would regularly every week there would be a day that I'd ride 100 or more miles. And then like a light day would be 50 miles, right? But the average was probably Crazy. 65 to 80 miles. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's a lot of cardio. My cardio was incredible. Mm-hmm. And I was buddies with the people at Livestrong. And they said, come out to Austin and run this 5K. And I thought, yeah, no problem. A 5K. How long does a 5K take? And they and they were like, you know, some people do it in very little time at all. Or it could take this much time or whatever. So I fly out to Austin. I go on this incredible bike ride with Lance Armstrong and the lives in the Livestrong people. And, and it's, and it's just, it's fantastic and mm-hmm. I'm loving it. And then the next day is the 5k and I go up, I show up in the morning and I, and I start and like, <sighs> Within a K or whatever, I don't know. (laughs) Within a few minutes, I am miserable. My feet are dying. My knees are dying. My hip is dying. My lower back hurts. Like, I don't know if I need to be taught how to run or if structurally I'm not built to run or what it is, but it was miserable. And like, I couldn't walk right for multiple days after it. And at the end of it, I couldn't even run anymore. I was just walking. And, and like all these people that were way heavier than me had finished. It was mortifying experience. So anyway, that's just needless to say, I'm never running a marathon. That was a 5K. That's like three miles or something like that, right? Yeah. So this guy's a badass. My point is, if I did run a marathon, at the end of that marathon, I'm done. I'm no longer running the marathon. I have finished. So that is done. That's over, right? Mm-hmm. Now, if I went... Next, I'm going to work on a double marathon. Then there's a whole new um, thing of training and life and all of that. But like as far as my weight goes, there is no I'm done because the minute I'm done, I'm gaining weight again, and yeah. and and through very very bad habits. So I have to be okay and recognize just as quickly as possible that when I do maintenance, I'm not counting everything out anymore. I did in the beginning. I have a real good idea of what maintenance is. But when I do maintenance, I also go out to dinner with my wife more frequently and I'm not ordering pizza and I'm not ordering cheeseburgers and fries ever. But sometimes, you know, I get the Brussels sprouts and the Brussels sprouts have sugar on them and I'm not sending them back and I'm eating the Brussels sprouts or, or Sometimes I say, you know, I want no sauce on my fish and it comes out in a sauce and I'm actually not mad. And I'm like, I'm going to have this sauce. Um, and then my calories are up and I gain a little weight and I catch it and go, okay, I want to get back into my groove a little bit more. Right. So I'm never done. There is no done. There is no completion. And there's a lot of Um, anxiousness about how I'm presenting myself for sure. And I think there probably would be with anybody. He lost 50 pounds and is about to run a third marathon. I know he probably feels accountable to his friends and there would probably be some shame associated with regression, just like I had every time I ever gained weight. Every time Uh, My friends were no longer telling me how great I look, but would look at me, I would see the thought register in their heads and then they would brush by it. But I would know we would both know what just occurred. Mm -hmm. They noticed that I gained weight.
4: Yeah. Right.
2: And it was upsetting to them. Yeah. That sucks. Yeah. They probably still do that when I show up and I've put on a couple of pounds. You know what I mean? Cuz they they they're also getting like freaked out like is he going back to 500? You know? <laughs> is this 5 the first percent of the 500 he's going to get to? You know what I mean?
4: Mhm. Yes, I totally do. I don't think anyone's freaked out about if you potentially gain a few pounds. I think that's in your head.
2: But Well, rid- okay, fine. Fair enough. My point is, I don't think there's a finish line for this. It, I think yeah. it is for the rest of my life. It doesn't consume me. It's not something I'm thinking about all the time. Yeah, but it is it is I think it's fair that um, because I have lost an extreme amount and and regained an extreme amount, it is fair for me to be able to get my shit together when I notice that I'm you know getting a little bit lax.
4: Yeah, that makes no that makes that makes sense. And I, um, I totally am happy that you answered the follow up question. <laughs> but it relates, you know what I'm saying? Like it just sure. yeah, spurned an extra, an extra thought there. Well, I think Omar is so impressive. I can't believe he's about to do the third marathon. That's so amazing. Yeah. And I think this is super valuable for, you know, such a good question for anyone who's who's in this zone, you know?
2: Thank you, Omar.
4: Thank you, Omar. Keep us posted and tell us how you're doing. And for anyone else out there who has a question that they might like Ethan to answer. (laughs) Okay. We could see each other right now while we're talking
2: to elaborate on. (laughs)
4: He just, Ethan just threw his head back, like, ay, 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 this girl. Okay. Anyway, listen, you know, I'm just getting on my radio announcer um, vibes right now. But if you have a question you would like answered, please send it to us at AmericanGlutton.net.
2: Thanks for listening to this episode of American Glutton. I'm Ethan Suplee. You can follow us on Instagram at American Glutton
0: Podcast. Sincerely.